You're listening to the True Life Church Podcast. Sermons are recorded at our Sunday gatherings from Melbourne, Florida. True Life Church guides people to take the next steps in their relationship with Jesus Christ, to grow, belong, and serve. We hope this audio message encourages you to take your own next steps in faith. If you'd like to know more about our church or attend one of our gatherings, find us online at www.truelifemelbourne.com. Today's message comes from lead pastor Joshua Smith. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 13. We're going to pick up into our series we have been in. Uh, If you're following, this is now week 20 of our series in Acts. And so we're going to pick up here. Last week, um, we, we talked about how Paul and Barnabas and John Mark had worked their way on the first leg of their first missionary journey through the island of Cyprus. I'm going to map up there just for a visual, I think. Maybe, hopefully. There it is. All right, so there's that red line there. They worked their way through the whole of the island. All right, and for our scripture reading today, I invite you to stand. And we're going to read, just as a recap... Where we've covered so far, so we're going to be in Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Acts chapter 13, verse 1, and let's read the word of the Lord together. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of, the Lord, word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. And when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word already to us this morning from uh, 1 Samuel. I pray that as we continue in your word, uh, that our hearts and minds, even our lives, would be changed uh, according to your will. That we would decrease and you would increase in every aspect of our lives, even during this time together. And I I pray for a blessing on the word as it is read and taught. that we would, uh, that I would do good service, bear good witness um, to your name, Amen. Amen. Thank you all. I have a seat. 
So let's pick up now from right where we left off, uh, beginning in verse 13, if you want to still follow along, of Acts chapter 13. And now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. There's a next map there. You can check this out. I'm going to keep drawing these lines there. So they set sail from Paphos. You can see Perga up there. Let's go to the next one. Ta-da! Wasn't that quick? That was fantastic. Quick journey. About three seconds it took him to get there on that red line with much haste. And, and in there, uh, John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Again, that was John Mark. Barnabas is Barnabas's cousin. And uh, real quick, keep your finger there. I'm going to turn over to a couple of chapters to Acts 15, where to come to this briefly. Uh, but we get just a glimpse about how Paul felt about that in Acts chapter 15. And, and after some days, beginning in verse 36, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And then after that there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. And Barnabas took his cousin, John Mark, with him, and then sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. So they kind of end up splitting up actually over this, uh, this dissension or departure from John Mark when he leaves. And Paul's kind of bent at the situation is all this ministry that's about to take place, um, everything that's about to, to happen over this next chapter, chapter and a half, John Mark wasn't there for. And if you've ever read a story of, of guys, especially um, in military service, uh, from like World War II or something like that, you, you take a, a look at the 101st Airborne, uh, to which a lot was kind of lauded or told about in recent years uh, with Easy Company and Band of Brothers, if you've ever seen anything like that. And they've got all these guys who served and jumped in Normandy on D-Day. And then after that, they get some replacements. And it was hard for the guys who had been there and trained together from 1942 on in Tacoa, Georgia, um, to, to make friends or get along or understand with the guys who came after them because they weren't there in Normandy. They didn't understand. And even in some ways in our own church, I want to do a quick fun, fun, uh, fun experiment. Um, I've now, as of October, I've been here eight years. Raise your hand if you've been here for these eight years with me. Look at that. Now, that's, you can look at that either way. I'm in, encouraged by that. Because look how many people are here not from then. As our church continues to ebb and flow and grow. But there is a common bond. There is a unique um, shared identity that is not a discredit to anyone who comes after. But anyone who wasn't here year one, they won't understand some of the things that our church has been through. It's the same way in any relationship. That was Paul's perspective of everything is about to happen. He's like, you weren't there for it, bro. Why would I want to take you to go celebrate what God has done along that journey? I don't want you showing up and acting like you were there and maybe taking credit for something which you weren't there to do. In verse 14, they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And here's a, another picture there, a little, little extension of the map, a little bit more. All right, they go there. Ha ha, Pisidia, Antioch. They're pis, called Pisidian Antioch. And I remember there's Syrian Antioch and Antioch by the sea and a whole bunch of different Antiochs. If you recall a number of sermons ago, uh, there was a man who just liked calling cities Antioch. And so there was at least five of them. And so they would separate them 
like that. So here's Pisidian and Antioch. And on the Sabbath day, they went to the synagogue and sat down. And after the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul's going to stand up and give a word. And it was very common in the synagogues of that day of anyone who had authority, uh, anyone who had leadership, anyone who had a great knowledge of the scriptures, um, anyone who was very um, wise or discernible, any Pharisee or uh, someone high up in, in leadership, after the, the time was, was done, it would be essentially akin to me asking you, um, all right, does anyone have a word from the Lord today? And they would stand up and they would share wisdom or knowledge or an interpretation of the scripture. That was normal back then. And so remember that Paul was a Pharisee, among the best of them, he would say, uh, the most knowledgeable, trained under uh, Gamaliel, very wise in the old, what we'll call the Old Testament, the scriptures uh, and the books of the law and of the prophets. And so here he comes in, oh, this is, this is Saul of Tarsus, here, here's Paul, let's hear what he has to say. And what they might expect him to say doesn't come out of his mouth. Here's instead what comes out. And he motions with his hand and said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm he led them out of it. And for about forty years he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. And all this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. And then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king. We've already talked about him this morning. Of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. We know that from our even children's moment, as a reminder, the Lord sees not as man sees, the Lord looks upon the heart. And he found David a man after his heart, and approved of him to be anointed as next king. And of this man's offspring, verse 23, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he, no, but behold, after me, one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them, by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children. By raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As for the fact that you raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, 
He has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. He died. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them in the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. Well, the next Sabbath, a week goes by. Almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews and the leaders there incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. I wanted to read all that in one chunk because that was what Paul said during that day in this synagogue. You might ask, well, why does he start there in verse 16 and 17? Why does he go back to Egypt? We're going to dwell on that question a few times today. First of all, if you recall, in, in Acts chapter 8, there was a man named Stephen, uh, a famous, we'll say famous, a famous disciple of the Lord, uh, raised uh, to a, a place of um, what we'll call, I guess, deacon. Right? And, and he was out ministering, and he was stoned. And as he was stoned to death, do you recall who looked on? Saul. Yes, this same Saul, now his name, we'll call him Paul. Saul of Tarsus looked on and approved of Stephen's execution. And so he would have heard Stephen's speech there. And if you recall, in, in Acts chapter 6 through 8, we have Stephen's speech. And where does Stephen begin? Oh, yes. Back in what we will call the Old Testament Again, so part of it might be him leaning on maybe his own transformational experience, referencing now through a different lens what Stephen had said. Because it was important to go back that far to bring everyone together on a complete understanding. And we need to have this complete understanding also for us today. That without an understanding of the Old Testament, we cannot have a complete view of Christ. 
With, without an understanding of the Old Testament, we cannot have a complete view of Christ. We might have a view of Christ, but it will be at best partial, incomplete. You might read and love the Gospels, but if we don't know the prophecies that would foretell Him, we don't know why He came. It's just, poof, here's Jesus. Why is He here? What did He come to do? What did He fulfill? And, and what happens next? What happens after? And we have to be careful, as a church and in our own homes, not to neglect the Old Testament. We're living in a, a generation that likes the gospel version of Jesus. The Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, with many sections redacted. And with white out, or red out, or any other color of out, they will pick and choose. We like this, but not this. This is great, but I don't like this. We'll, we'll pretend he didn't say that. This is fun. We get this. This is convicting and hard. Again, I've mentioned before, there's a, there's a campaign right now out there with over hundreds of millions of dollars forced and uh, being acquired by it called He Gets Us. You may see these commercials floating about. He Gets Us. Anyone seen these commercials of what I'm talking about? Okay, they're going to continue to permeate our media. And it's dangerous because all this money is being dumped into this agenda, which officially is to rebrand Jesus. That, that's their headline. And, and I actually encourage you to get on the website of He Gets Us and, and read some of their statements because on their own website it says things like, some believe that Jesus lived a perfect life. And they, right there on the outset, they have a, an incomplete view of Jesus, because if Jesus is not perfect, he couldn't be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And they're trying to defame and belittle the name of Jesus to simply just, he gets us, he understands you. There's no mention of sin, of redemption, of regeneration, justification or sanctification or any other biggity words you might like to throw in there. They're not there. They just simply want you to know that Jesus had anxiety too in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus, quote, struggled to make ends meet too. I challenge anyone to find a Bible verse to back up their claims. Because the Jesus I read about took loaves and fishes and multiplied it to the thousands. What did he want for? How did he struggle to make ends meet? They're humanizing Jesus to the level of removing the deity. And that's dangerous. Another fa pastor famously said, is at a church called North Point in Atlanta, to unhitch from the Old Testament. Friends, we cannot do that. We cannot remove ourselves from the Old Testament because we will have an incomplete view of Christ. In verse 36 here, and where Paul is speaking, he said, David died. He was corrupt. He, he, his body decomposed. What a, great, what a great reference on this not weekend, right? We have this picture in our minds, maybe. David decomposed, but Jesus rose. 
And hearing these words in the synagogue, these people begged to hear the gospel the next weekend. Oh, that you and I would be that hungry for the word. Is the word something you would beg to hear? Like, honestly, we need to think about this a second. Would you say, yes, please, more. Please, more. Next weekend, I'll stop what I'm doing. I'm going to invite all my friends. We're going to come rally around the word of the Lord together. Is it enough for us? One of the great quotes of the last uh, probably decade of movie making is from the movie Gladiator. Are you not entertained? Is, Is Jesus not enough? Is the word something you would beg to hear? If we did no songs, would it be enough? If we did no children's ministry, would it be enough? If there was no coffee to keep you awake during my message, would it be enough? If there's no air conditioning, would it be enough? If there's no chairs, would you stand? If it's inconvenient, would you invite a friend? Is the word of the Lord something we are begging to hear? It's convicting for me. And I'm the one behind the wooden box. So I hope that it's challenging for us all. Is the word something we would beg to hear? Yes, please, and and more. So we have to ask, well, what is it that's attractional? Why do people come? Is it this? Is it, is it this? Is it this? What's attractional? Is it, is it the church? Is it the experience? Is it the location? The ministry? The outreach? Do you just like the service time? Well, I looked at other ones and they said 11 and this one's 10.30 so it works in my day easier. Like, those things aren't inherently bad or wrong. Hear me on that. But ultimately, they aren't and should not be the attractional thing for us. The attractional thing for us coming together every single week is simply Jesus. Or it should be. And if it's not, we need a heart check. The Lord looks and sees not as man sees. The Lord, again, looks on the heart. So, Father, forgive us when our motives are impure or selfish when our logic is comfort instead of challenge. The disciples here, Paul and Barnabas specifically, they're kicked out of this whole area for this word. And they wipe the dust off their feet. And you can read it. The scripture passages will be up here for reference. You can look at that as homework. I won't turn there today. But in Luke chapter 10 and also in Matthew chapter 10, and the sending of the 72 and also of the 12, very similar passages, though two different instances. Jesus says, I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. You will be persecuted. You will be challenged. You will be neglected and put out for my sake. And when that happens, pick up. A phrase I like to use often is pull up your pampers. Be a big boy and move on. Dust. Dust off your feet and move on to a new area to which I have called you. So here, 
they're able to actually put this into practice. And I love that it's referenced there again, of them actually doing what Jesus had told them to do. Now again, in, here in Acts chapter 13, and beginning in verse 44 through 46, we're going to see some, some differences. Up until this point, everyone, in fact, in the whole, most of the whole city, the Jews, the Gentiles, the leaders in the synagogues, the teachers and those under them, had come and they'd heard the word of the Lord. Many of them had believed. But now, after this sowing of the seed, we're going to see some differences in the harvest. Uh, if you're familiar, hopefully, with the parable, Jesus' parable, the sower and the seed, uh, the word goes out into at least four different types of of ground, of soil, in the rocky places, and the thorn bushes. And only one does actually bear a good harvest. Well, a good harvest is the people who, in verse 48, uh, as many as believed, were appointed to eternal life. A great harvest there in Pisidian Antioch, around Perga and Pamphylia. But the Jews and the leaders were not filled with the Holy Spirit. They would might be what we call thorns or rocky ground. In verse 45, it says, But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with, if you're following along, jealousy. They were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Contrast that with verse 51 and 52, where we ended. But when they moved and they moved out of that district after they were kicked out, Paul and Barnabas shook the dust from their feet against them. And they went to Iconium, and the disciples were not filled with jealousy, but yes, now the other J word, joy. So we have this contradiction, or this difference between being filled with jealousy, or being filled with joy. And there is a choice here for those of us in Christ, actually. After the hearing of the word of the Lord, we, we actually have to choose to be filled with one or the other. Jealousy, or joy. A worldly motive will speak out of, well, I wish I could have what they have. That even, even in ministry sometimes, that church has a bigger building, has more people coming, has more baptisms, whatever. And we all, we got to be careful about that. And you in your own life, someone else might have get a promotion that, that you might have waited a long time for and thought was coming your way only to be withheld. You might have to consider... Joy. And it takes a lot for this Georgia boy. Go dogs, by the way. Any Florida fans in here? Alright. Three. We'll have a time of prayer and confession uh, at the end. For the, I'm just kidding. It takes a lot for this Georgia boy to speak UF. But I was watching TV yesterday morning on the SEC network because college game day got a little droll. So I turned over to the SEC network. And there was a man, a young man, African American gentleman, six foot ten. His name's Patrick Young. And he helped to deliver the Providence High School Stallions in Jacksonville and coach Jim Martin the program's first state basketball championship back in 2010. And after that, he went on to a stellar four-year career at the University of Florida, where he made it to three consecutive Elite Eight appearances and had a trip to the Final Four. Patrick Young played professionally overseas for six seasons in basketball before joining the SEC Network as a basketball analyst. 
He was the winner of the McDonald's All-American Award, a high school state champion, and the SEC Defensive Player of the Year in NCAA basketball. And in June of last year, Patrick Young got in a severe car accident in Nebraska just days before his wedding. Since then, he's been paralyzed from the waist down. Had to move his wedding to a later date. Listen to what Patrick Young says. I took it as it was and just realized, hey, every part that makes Patrick Young, Patrick Young, that makes me, me, is still here, mentally, emotionally. Even though physically I might be a little bit, I'm disabled, nothing stops me from being a good husband, good father, person, all those things that have placed me where I am now have nothing to do with my physical ability. I'm just choosing joy. I'm just choosing that, hey, I have life. I get to go outside of my house. There's a lot of things I still can't do, but there's a lot I can. On his Instagram, he says, For me to say that these last two weeks have been hard is beyond an understatement. I've experienced so many emotions shortly after his accident from shock, disbelief, sadness, disappointment, and apathy. But I've been clinging to the illusion of control over my life for the longest time instead of giving it all to God. Even now, my mind wants to go back to my accident and think of all the things I could have done differently. But the thing is, my accident may have completely caught me off guard, but God was not caught off guard. And that's what gives me a smile. Of course, I would not have written a life-changing accident to be my wake-up call in life, to stop playing life safe and putting my confidence in worldly things. But now I am in a situation where I must fully depend on God moment by moment, day by day. Without the assurance of His love, His proximity and grace, there would be no hope. One of my favorite scriptures in the book of James It states, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. He goes on, so in this trial, this testing of faith, I choose joy. Not because everything is great, but because my Jesus is all the preparation I need. And my Father is the lamp of my life one day at a time. What a story. Patrick Young, a fellow believer, because of Christ, is choosing joy. The Jews and the leaders could not choose joy. Even though they ref- and, and they refused to hear and believe the news about Jesus. That The world cannot choose joy. Have you ever thought about that before? They can't. Because there is no real joy apart from Christ. You don't accept Christ, how can they choose joy? They can't. The world cannot count it all joy whenever they face trials. These concepts are foreign to them. But we, because of Christ, and only in Christ, can choose joy. And I don't know what you're going through today, or what life has brought your way, or what circumstances you find yourself in this morning, but if you are in Christ, I've got a newsflash for you. You you can choose joy. So choose joy instead of jealousy. 
So let's go back to, why does Paul start in Egypt? If we go back into Exodus, you may, well, we will in just a moment. But off the top of your heads, Moses and Aaron come to Pharaoh with a message from the Lord. Do you want to know what that message is? Anyone? The screen will tell you. What's the message we've so often heard? There's even a great gospel spiritual song, Let my people go. Like it's, that's what we remember, just let my people go. Give us freedom. Give me liberty or give me death. No, just freedom. Just let us go. And, and Paul goes back to beginning in Egypt because they in the synagogue and he would have had an understanding that sometimes we have forgotten because like in many cases in modern Christianese that is not the entirety of the verse it's not just give us freedom let my people go says the Lord in Exodus chapter 9 verse 1 hear this and the Lord said to Moses go into Pharaoh and say to him thus said the Lord the God of the Hebrews let my people go that they may serve me Oh, there, there, there's a reason why. Oh, yes. It's not just freedom for freedom's sake. It's not just get out of Egypt, take out my chains. I'm tired of being a brick baker. It's no, it's, it's so much more than that. Let my people go. Why? That they may serve me. We don't have freedom for freedom's sake. We have freedom for Christ's sake. Paul says this in Acts 13, beginning in verse 38. says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, and this is his message to them as well as to us, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed. Freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. You're free, let my people go, that they may serve me. We have freedom. Freedom from the bondage of sin. But he goes back, in beginning in verse 16 and 17, and just if you want to follow along, I'm not going to hit everything, but he, he hits all these points. Paul builds upon the known understanding and the background of what would have been a corporate faith and history. And he builds upon the iconic leaders of the past beginning in verse 16 and 17, referencing Moses and Aaron and the judges and Samuel and King Saul and King David and then leading to the lineage of Jesus and then stacking His greatness as Savior and God's promise fulfilled. And basically he's saying this. He said, you've had masters. You've had judges. You've had prophets. You've had leaders. You've had kings. But until Jesus... You haven't had a savior. You've had all these other things, and for us, this same list is true. Keep that up there for a second. Like masters? We don't have a master. Like slavery's been done for a while, right? Don't be confused. We have not abolished slavery. Slavery will exist. Till the end. Till Christ comes. 
You know why? Because you're all a slave to something. Don't believe me? Next book over in Romans chapter 6, this same Paul continues much later. I'm incredibly relevant. Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 15. He says, what then? Are we, are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? I can go do what I want. I'm free, 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 free. Look at me, free. Rescuers down under, there's a little lizard with things and that's what pops in my mind. Look at me, I'm free. Right? We're not free for freedom's sake. We're free for Christ's sake. You know, I, I can oh, grant, I know Jesus, can I can go do what I want? No. By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become, what, slaves again? Yes, slaves of righteousness. Obedient to righteousness. Subservient to righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, which is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You've had a master. And for those of us in Christ, hopefully we were able to reflect on like, yes, I was a slave to sin. But thanks be to God, I'm no longer a slave to sin. I don't have to do what that thing or that urge or that destructive habit or tendency or addiction is calling me to do, I don't listen to that anymore. Why? Because I'm a slave of a new master. And this one doesn't call me to death and destruction. This one calls me to life. And life to the fullest. And eternal. We've had a judgment. We've had prophets speaking to us the word of the Lord. A prophet might actually be one of the reasons why you're here today. Someone speaking the word into your life. We've had leaders could be at your job, and maybe it's a boss, moms and dads. could be a pastor. could be a teacher in high school, someone who, who mentored you. A disciple maker for you. You had leaders. We've had kings. <clears throat> Excuse me, America is a republic. All right, okay. Presidents, call them what you will. Governors. Leaders. And there's an election coming up, in case you're unfamiliar. And I want to tell you what. Chris or DeSantis or Biden or Trump or Clinton, you fill in the blank, it doesn't matter. They're not our Savior. They're not. Vote sure. But they're not our Savior. So we've had masters and judges and prophets and leaders and kings, but until Jesus, we haven't had a Savior. 
And here's the beauty of it. Jesus is the compilation and the completion of all of those things. A master, the best. A judge, the most righteous. A prophet who tells us what is to come. A leader to which none can compare. A king on throne forever and savior. He's both the compilation and the completion of all of those things that Paul is referencing here. And so when he brings us into freedom, we find out that Jesus is the answer to what we need and also more than we deserve. Because what these people need here in Acts 13 and what you and I need is not a better or worse governor. What we need is not a better or worse leader, a better or worse pastor. What we need is a savior desperately for the forgiveness of sins. No one else can do it. Don't care who's elected in a couple weeks. They cannot take away the sins of the world. Jesus is the answer to what we actually need and also more than we deserve. Last week we read Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2 and this is where I'm going to close as well today because last week we looked at it from the perspective of laying aside every weight and choosing in reference to Joshua 24, choosing this day who would we serve. We're going to put those things behind and move forward and run the race to which you've been called. Now we're going to take a look at the same two verses from a different angle. And the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Why? Because we are free from that master. Put it aside. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. Here it is, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Your, your version may say author and finisher. Your version may say founder and perfecter. Regardless, it is he, the one who started it all, who created it all, who ordained it all, who designed it all. And also the one who finishes it all, completes it all, perfects it all. Recall his words on the cross, it is finished. The author and finisher of our faith, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And the Exodus call that Paul is referencing here in Acts chapter 13, which is speaking to the Jews and Gentiles, is the same message today for us. That we have a beautiful gift in Jesus Christ. Because as John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And I love that, because the Word of God will stand forever, and as long as it does, this verse is true. It will always be present tense. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. A forever present tense. And because of this Jesus, the author and perfecter, the beginning and the end, the founder and the finisher, we have freedom from being a slave to sin. We have freedom and newness and redemption and regeneration and sanctification in Christ 
as the cry of let my people go still echoes today to be free of sin. Not just free for freedom's sake, to go do whatever you want, get out of hell free card. No, it's so much more than that. It's not putting our hope or our trust or our faith in human leaders or kings or presidents or pastors or bosses, but only in Jesus Christ, because he's the only one who can save. Let my people go that they may serve me. Paul's call to the synagogue there in Pamphylia is the same call to us. We want to be free. Why? So that we can serve the Lord. We have been saved from bondage. You and I are free to serve Christ. I don't know about you, but that's a joy for me. To not be a slave to sin any longer. To because of Christ and the Spirit in me can have freedom from those choices. Can have freedom from those past, freedom from those memories, freedom from all the things which tear down and steal and kill and destroy. I don't know about you, but I choose freedom in Christ. And I will willingly submit to being a slave for Him. Because I'm not in chains. And I'm not dying. Not forever. You and I are slaves to something. What are you going to be a slave to? And as again, Joshua, last week, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Let my people go, that they may serve me. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. This weekly podcast is a ministry of True Life Church. If you'd like to help keep these audio sermons available, you can support our ministry online at www.truelifemelbourne.com forward slash give. Until next time, may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.